Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. It's good to see all of you. Um, Hello to those of us who are joining us online. Hope you're doing well, and we hope to uh, hopefully see you soon, maybe at Christmas would be great. Uh, But it's great to see all of you, and we're uh, if you've been joining us for this series, we are coming to the end of our, uh, soon to the end of our Ecclesiastes series. Next weekend, Andrew is going to wrap it up, put a nice bow uh, on this series. And after we've celebrated Thanksgiving, uh, I'm going to kick off our Advent series, which will take us to Christmas, which I think it's supposed to snow tomorrow, which is very exciting. Um, but this week, for some of us, <laughs> but this weekend, uh, I'm looking at the final words of, uh, uh, from the teacher, from the preacher, who we believe to be uh, King Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes. He's the third king of Israel. You have King Saul, King David, and then uh, King Solomon. And Solomon is considered to be one of the wisest and, wisest and most accomplished people to have ever lived. And he's looking at all the stuff of, uh, of life and trying to make sense of it. And as we've been going through this series, we're, uh, we've been going through his observations and his conclusions regarding life. And the passage we're going to look at uh, tonight uh, is clear, clearly uh, Solomon is writing it as an old man and uh, someone who is nearing the end of his life. And in his final words, he's, he's looking back and in this passage, he's speaking to, to, the, to the young, to young people. And at, at a first class, it seems like what he's saying, it seems like he's totally contradicting himself. Because basically what he says is, hey, youngsters, I don't know if he said it that way, but hey, youngsters, enjoy this life to the fullest. Live this life with all you've got, but at the same time, never forget that you have a shelf life and that you will die one day. And to me, there seems to be a contradiction in in Solomon's counsel. It's almost like, hey, in this life, put the pedal to the metal and hit the brakes all at the the same time. And uh, um, it seems like a contradiction. But this is really important. What we're talking about tonight really brings perspective to life uh, for all of us. But I would say especially youth, because typically when you're young, uh, you don't normally think about death. Uh, in fact, you feel immortal. I know I sure felt immortal when I, in my youth. Uh, you know, it's like those early days. You feel like you're always going to be young. Those early days, early years of life move real slow. I mean, don't you remember when you were a kid? I can remember some days <clears throat> thinking, it's never going to be 7 o'clock, right? When Walt Disney comes on, it just felt like it would never end. But now, uh, as you get older, uh, sometimes time feels like a runaway train. It's like, just like, is it really 2021? And, uh, but it's like, it's rumbling down the tracks uh, to the end, to the end of, of this life. And, you know, the first time I remember becoming aware of the reality of death was when I was uh, uh, nine years old. My parents uh, emigrated from Denmark to Canada, and uh, pretty much all our relatives were and still are uh, in Denmark. They're Vikings, and I can't tell you what they're up to this weekend. But my, uh, that's not true, but my grandfather, uh, my mother's side, who I called Mofa, which means mother's father, uh, he had passed away, and I don't remember how soon after that, but we took a trip to Denmark. And again, I was nine years old, and we went to the graveyard 
where my Morfa, my grandfather was buried, uh, where uh, Harold Christensen, we went to see his grave. And I, you know, like I'm sure I'd been, uh, I'd, I'd been in a graveyard before, at least I'm sure I'd seen one before. But uh, as I remember, what really got me when we were at the graveyard was, you know, we go in and here's my grandpa's gravestone. And what really hit me was my mom knelt down and just started to cry. And as a little boy or as a kid, isn't it, uh, it's kind of weird and scary and confusing when you see your parent cry. And as I watched that, I just remembered this, all of a sudden this thought went through my mind. I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. If her dad died, well, does that mean then that she's gonna die? And then looking at my dad and that he's gonna die. And then one day I'm gonna be the one kneeling down, crying at their gravestone. And I, you know, again, I'm nine years old. And as I remember the story, that reality hit me so hard. I ended up back in the rental van. It was a dark green uh, Volkswagen van, if I remember correctly. And I was sobbing. And it was either my mom or my dad were in the van with me, you know, comforting me. And I, and when I, you know, again, I was nine. I didn't know how to articulate what I was experiencing at that age, but in hindsight, I think what I would have said was something along the lines of, wait, wait a minute, you mean this all ends? Like, like you mean this amazing life with cinnamon buns and ice skating and playing at the lake? Like, you think, you mean this life that we're living isn't forever? And uh, to that, the writer of Ecclesiastes would say, in the passage we're looking at, he would say, no, it isn't, it isn't. This life that we are living, uh, it, it has an ending. But then he would say this, but understand that that truth, it's not meant to depress you, really. It's not meant to depress you. In fact, it really is meant to awaken you to what life is really about. It really is meant, that truth, that reality is meant to awaken you to the one who is life, who is never ending life. So uh, uh, let's pray. Now that I've uh, smacked you with a Hallmark <laughs> card, or, but let's, let's pray and then uh, we'll jump into the passage. So Lord, I thank you for your presence here. I thank you that you, you know everything about each one of us. And I pray in the room, I pray online, I just pray that we'd all just relax in that truth, that you know what we need tonight. So Lord, we welcome you here. Just come, come and be personal with each one. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you've got a Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, or it'll also be on the screens. We're gonna read the first chunk here, the first passage. Verse seven says this. It says, light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. And there's that meaningless again, that, that Hebrew word hevel, and, and understand or remember, when he says meaningless, he's not saying useless. 
right? What he's saying is like meaningless. It's like, it's hard to find the meaning. It's like, it's hard to understand all this stuff we're talking about. It doesn't make sense. The meaning is, is elusive. It's like smoke. It's hard to get your hands around it. And so we're going to look at three points, three really points of counsel from Solomon. And the first one is this. Solomon says this. He says, number one, live your life to the fullest, right? That's what he says in that passage. We read, live your life to the fullest. And you know, when I when I read that, as I was going through the passage, I thought, you know, that, that's some interesting counsel. And, and here's what I mean. Remember Solomon, you know, he's old, he's looking back at his life, and he's, and he's in, in a way, in writing this down, he's basically speaking. He's speaking to young people, and it seems like in what he's saying, it seems like he's giving them uh, like a green light to reckless, uncontrolled living. It's like he's, he's encouraging them to live a life, like a hedonistic life. Just, oh, just go live life. Just go do, do as you will. Uh, he says this, however many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. Ah, okay. But then he says, you who are young, be happy while you are young <clears throat> and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, like Solomon, is that really your counsel? Because if I had a time machine, and I don't, but if I did, uh, that is not the counsel I would give to my young self, right? Because when, when I look back, I didn't need encouragement to follow the ways of my heart, right? To follow the ways of my many appetites as a young man. In fact, what I needed was restraint. I didn't need a green light. I needed a, uh, a curfew and a stoplight. Uh, but but what's, so what's he saying here? Like, why? That seems like strange advice then to give uh, uh, from Solomon. Well, uh, I think to understand this point, we need to quickly move to the second point. And the fact that we're going there so quick doesn't mean it's a short talk, so, so don't get your hopes up. But he says, live your life to the fullest. But then number two is this second point, but remember, you will be held accountable for all your actions. So doesn't that sound like push the pedal to the metal and the brakes? All, like that's, that's, that sounds confusing to me. So, so really what... Solomon is saying is, he's saying, to really live your life to the fullest, to really live your life to the fullest, uh, you must be anchored to, you must be accountable to, you must be aware of and mindful of God and his ways. And I think it'll help us if we look a little closer at the word fullest, because remember, you know, if you remember this series that we've been in, uh, this guy, you know, talk about living a life to the fullest, well, that, that's Solomon. I mean, other than Wi-Fi and Krispy Kreme, this guy had every, that's funny, come on, that was pretty good. Okay, this is gonna be a tough, let me wind it up a bit more here. Other than Wi-Fi, no, okay, but this guy had it all, this guy did it all. I mean, Solomon was rich, 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 beyond our understanding. Like he made gold like common, right? Uh, he's rich, he's loaded, he's, he's a super gifted human being. Very smart, very, he's an engineer, he's building things, he's creative, he's writing songs, all these different things. Uh, people would come, remember the story of the Queen of Sheba? People would come from all around the world to sit at his feet and just listen to him. I mean, could you imagine that? And then anything he wanted, whether it was women or horses or, you know, or, or whatever, I mean, anything he wanted, he got it. Looking at all that, looking at all that excess, Solomon would say, all of that did not satisfy. 
And that's really what we've been talking a lot, uh, talking about a lot in this, in this series. In fact, Solomon would say, if I could paraphrase, he would say, I've tried to find life and meaning in my understanding of fullest, but it hasn't worked. So what I've learned is to live my life according to his understanding of fullest. Does that make sense? I hope so, because that's sort of the, that's my whole point. And so he says, live your life to the fullest, end of verse nine, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Meaning, we'll be held accountable for whether or not, in this life, we choose to live our lives according to our understanding of fullest, or according to God's understanding of fullest. And I think if we are honest about ourselves, and especially honest about our world, our culture, you know, the world would say that a, a life lived to the fullest, or you know, another way to put it, or true freedom is the freedom to do whatever you wanna do, or be who or whomever you want to be. Like true freedom, the living life to the fullest means living life with no restraints. I mean, wouldn't you agree that that theme is getting louder and louder and louder in our culture, wouldn't you agree? And I don't just mean out there, I also mean in here, because that's just part of the you know, broken human condition. But when I look at that, I, you know, I like, come on, really? Do you really think that is true freedom? Living your life with no restraints. See, the, the Bible would say that freedom without restraints, freedom without guardrails, it's not true freedom, it's destructive freedom. That kind of freedom will, will destroy you. And I'm sure if we had time, we could hear many stories of how that kind of freedom has done damage in, in many, many of our lives. So, um, you know, uh, do you know that when we look at the Bible, when we look at the gospel, when we look at the, you know, the words of Jesus, really the invitation of Jesus at the heart of the, of the Bible, of God's word, at the heart of the gospel, really it's talking about freedom. It's all about freedom. Like the, the invitation of Jesus to come and follow him, it's an invitation to a life uh, to learning how to live life to the fullest. It's an invitation to freedom. I mean, and I think, looking around this room, I mean, I know most of the people in this room, I would say uh, that you, you know that, but then let me ask you this, but if you, you might know that, but do you believe that that's true? Like, do you believe that that's true? Would the actions of your life confirm that that is true, right? That, 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 that that's at the heart of the gospel. And, um, you know, I, I guess what I mean is this, like many of you, I was raised in the church, and uh, I have lived as much of my life as I can remember with an awareness that I would be judged by God for my actions and my choices and my, uh, my decisions. And, you know, I guess to be fully honest, for a chunk of that time, I wasn't just aware of that. I was afraid of that. I was afraid of that judgment. So I better get, you know, I better get this right. And, you know, growing up, if you ask me, hey, describe what it means to be a Christian, I think growing up, I would have answered that by telling you a list of all the things we don't do, right? I'd say, well, what is a Christian? Oh, well, a Christian is someone who, you know, we don't go to those movies, and we don't listen to that music, and, you know, or we don't read those books, or we only play Uno, you know, that's the only cards you're allowed to play, or, you know what I mean? Like, we don't associate with those people on and on, but, you know, as I got older, Again, being raised in the church, as I got older, I felt a growing frustration like, I, uh, in my heart. And it really was almost to the point of like a scream of, like, I know what I can't do as a Christian, 
but could somebody please tell me what I can do as a Christian? Is it, you know what I mean? Like, like is it, or is it, is it just, is the Christian life all about just making sure you get it right and being good? Listen to this quote. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. See, what Jesus came to do, the work he came to do is way deeper than just our sort of fumbling behavior on the, on the outside. It's, it's a much, much deeper work that Jesus came to do. And so in that, if you're, if you're, and I hope this makes sense, if your relationship with Jesus, if your understanding of what it means to be a Christian means that your life, your world is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, more and more constricted. Like as you live life, it's like you have less and less colors to paint with. If that's, if that's your experience of following Jesus, you know, I, I want to challenge you and say, you know what, I don't, I don't think uh, you've embraced true Christianity because that doesn't sound like Jesus. That doesn't sound like true Christianity. Here's what the Bible teaches about the heart of God towards us. Galatians 5.1 says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. See, the Bible teaches that being born into a broken world where sin has poisoned his plan, it, it, it's, it, the Bible teaches that we've all been duped, basically. I hope that makes sense. That's like an old word. But uh, we've all been tricked. We've all been fooled. We're all, like, we've all been enslaved to lies, that, and lies that keep us from seeing, from, from remembering that, wait, whoa, 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 we, like, we were made, that, like, uh, help, uh, sorry, I got way off my notes. Lies that cause us to forget the amazing freedom that cause us to forget the true life that can only be found in a relationship with, with Jesus, with yoking yourself, right? A yoke connecting yourself to Jesus, like, I'm with you, Jesus, wherever you go, let's go out. You know, I'm gonna go, I'm with, go. And so the yoke of slavery being referred to in that passage, that, you know, the connection that we want to avoid is when we live our lives under the control of anything or anyone other than him. Right, because he alone, he alone is the way. He alone is the, he alone is the life. He alone is the life. It's for freedom that he set us free. Freedom, he hasn't, you know, it's not this, it's freedom. He's set us free for freedom. Uh, listen to this quote. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in the slums because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You know, I wonder, and I wonder to my, uh, I'm saying this to myself as much as I'm saying this to you, but like, like, do I really believe, as a follower of Jesus, do I really believe, do you really believe that what God has planned for you in this life, right? That, that you know, uh, his plans, his way, his understanding of fullness. Do you really believe that that, uh, that, that is better than anything you or I could discover or, or come up with on our own, right? And, and I think part of the, this walk of life, of walking with Jesus, it's a lifelong process of making exchanges. When we, you know, we give ourselves to something and we go, wait a minute, this is not satisfying. And we have to make that exchange where we're, we're letting go of that or, we're t- or taking that yoke off, if you will, so that we're freed up to be yoked 
to, to Jesus is where we take off the yoke of trying to find life in you know, the pursuit of pleasure, in the pursuit of comfort and good feelings and you know, the pursuit of money and stuff and titles and accolades and degrees and all, the, all that stuff. It's, it's, being, it's, it's recognizing it and, and de-yoking, there's a new word, de-yoking yourself so that you can now be yoked to Jesus. And through him, you can discover his understanding of, of what living life to the fullness really looks like. So Solomon says, live your life to the fullest, but remember that you will be held accountable. And then number three already, live your life to the fullest, but remember your life is but a vapor and you will be over and will be over before you know it. And, you know, I shared in the intro that, uh, you know, when I was nine years old, I got that sort of first dose of the reality of, of death. And over the years, as I've uh, gotten older and as I've said goodbye to loved ones who have died, as I've um, officiated many funerals. You know, I, I figured out this week that in the last two and a half months, I've done six, I've officiated six funerals. It's just been an interesting time. But all of that put together has really uh, sobered me to the fact, to the awareness that my life on this planet has a shelf life. Right? That's become very real to me. And I, and I recognize, even as we're talking about this topic of, of death, that for some of you, this this might be very uncomfortable, you know, and, and uh, uh, it's, like, it's, it's, it's like, I don't want to even think about dying, let alone talk about dying. I don't even want to think about or talk about getting older, let alone dying. I read this week that according to the American Society for Aesthetic, Aesthetic Plastic Surgery, surgeons perform more than 10 million cosmetic procedures a year. That's just in Sunbury. There we go. Thank you, Kathleen. Now, you, you beat everyone to the laugh. That's, this is in the United States. Uh, they perform more than 10 million cosmetic procedures each year. And get this. And of those 10 million, almost none of them are medically necessary. We just don't want to get old. George Bernard Shaw said, youth is wasted on the young. You've probably heard that before. I like this one. Inside every old person is a young person wondering what happened. Isn't that true? If you're, if you're older, I, you know, when we were just back in Canada, I was out one morning driving. There's a coffee shop I like to go to. And I'm driving down the street and it's early in the morning. And I see this man walking briskly down the street with his dog, taking his dog for a walk. And as I, you know, I was driving by, I looked at him. I saw, you know, his hair was gray and moving towards white. And this is what I honestly thought. I looked at him, I thought, look at that old fella go. And then, and then I did a mirror check and I looked at myself and I thought, ah, how did he get in the back seat of my car? You know, it was like, it was like, what is happening to me? And where are my pants? Nobody was like, you know, but Solomon, uh, Solomon describes the aging process in the second part of the passage. He describes it really, it's a poem that he uses and he uses a really creative descriptive language just capturing the, the aging process. And I'll throw in little, little cues as we go through it. This is Ecclesiastes 12, verse one. It says, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house, our hands, tremble. And the strong men stoop our legs. When the grinders cease our teeth, because they are few, 
And those looking through the windows, our eyes grow dim. When the doors to the street, our ears are closed and the sound of grinding fades. When people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, you know, more aware than ever of potential dangers. When the almond tree blossoms, almond blossoms are white, white hair, and the grasshopper drags itself along. The body won't do <laughs> what it used to do. Uh, and desire no longer is stirred. Our appetites for food, for sex, for adventure, for risk. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him, remember your creator before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. And with that, that's the end of Solomon's, of, of Solomon's words. And, you know, and Solomon is clearly telling the young people, like, whoa, get out there and live your life to the fullest, because very quickly your youth will be behind you. Notice that he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come. Did you know that? You've probably heard this before for some of you, but statistically in the United States, 86% of people who have uh, put their faith in Jesus or taken a step of belief towards Jesus did it before age 14. And then from 15 to 30, it's 10%. And after 30, it's, it's 4%. So let me ask, how many of you if you're a Christian, would say, uh, before age 14, I, I gave my life to Jesus. Put your hand up real high. Okay, that, that's 86%. Okay, good. But no, <laughs> I don't know what that is. But it's no coincidence that Jesus taught this in Matthew 18. He said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And isn't it true that there is a, there's a tenderness there's an openness, there's a freedom to believe in the heart of a child. It's such a beautiful, beautiful innocence that unfortunately tends to harden up and become cynical over time because of the days of trouble, you know, with just the hard, meaningless, painful stuff of life. And you know, let me just pause for a second. If you're in the room and you are younger, or even if you're watching online and you are young, and if you would say, you know, I don't really, uh, I don't know if I've ever really taken a step towards Jesus. I want to really encourage you as a young person to, to uh, consider what you believe about God. And I would encourage you tonight, again, whether it's here in the room or online, uh, to take a step towards Jesus tonight. And what I mean is this, to take a step means, you know, at the end of the service when we pray for people, if that's you in the room uh, would you let us pray for you? Because we would love to pray for you and ask Jesus to come and introduce himself to you. Or online, if you're there with your family, that you would ask them to uh, uh, pray for you and introduce, that Jesus would come and introduce himself to you. And you know, if you're listening in the room and, or online and you don't consider yourself young, um, you are certainly not left out. I, I extend the same invitation to you. Would you, tonight or today, if it's online, would you consider your creator, would you consider what you believe about God? And tonight, would you, like, would you let us pray for you? Would you take a step towards him? You know, in the, in the intro, I said that the truth that life goes fast and, uh, and one day you will die, it's, it's not meant to depress you. Rather, it's meant to awaken you to the, to the true meaning of life. And, you know, Solomon has learned and is telling 
us what this life is about. And basically what he's saying is this. He's saying this life is all about living life with God, with an awareness of God, yoked to God, led by God. And when you, when you live a life with God, you know, there's something about it that God starts to rub off on you. If you set out each day to just try to live with him, aware of him, and, and so what gets stirred and grows in you is his perspective on life, his kingdom, his really his eternal perspective uh, on life. And in order to really, in order to find the, the life and the hope in this passage, uh, it requires a perspective shift regarding our lives on earth. Like when's the last time you thought this? Philippians 3.20, uh, but we are citizens of heaven. Like this is Paul writing to, to a church and he's writing to Christians. If you're a Christian, that means that your primary citizenship is not here in the United States. Your primary citizenship is in heaven. And we can hardly wait for a savior from there. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has the power to bring everything under his control. By his power, he will change our earthly bodies. They will become like his glorious body. See, if you're in the room and you're older and you're you know, relating to some of the, the challenges of getting older, living life with God, getting older, your body breaking down, of course it's hard. Of course, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a hard season of life, but it is also a reminder that this life is not meant to last forever. It's a reminder that this body, this is, these are not our eternal bodies. This, you know, it, it's a reminder that this is not our home. 2 Corinthians 4, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal, meaning a kingdom perspective, an eternal perspective on life is less focused on death. See, the, really, the Bible teaches that death is not the end. Death is a, death is a doorway, right? Or, or death is like the, the ultimate off-ramp, right? Or, or death is the, the, it's the horn at the end of the day's work. It's, it's the launch pad, right? It's, it's like kingdom perspective, this eternal perspective on our lives is meant to set us free so that we aren't worried about the future, so that we can now focus on the present task at hand. And, you know, one of the things that over the last probably five years, I would say, this has just been a theme in my life, and it's really how I'm trying to look at my life and live my life, and I'm gonna go real deep. This is deep theology now, um, but if you're newer at VCDC, uh, I really like hockey. Okay, here we go. I really like hockey, and one of the aspects of hockey that makes it so amazing is the speed of the game. Like, it is a very fast sport, and, and uh, um, unlike many other sports, in hockey, you change up the players, you change them up on the fly as the game is, is, is playing, and, and really it's a very uh, strategic part of the game as to when you change up who's, you know, who's on the ice, and, and when you are on the ice, they call it your shift, right? It's your shift. And uh, the average length of an NHL, that's a professional league, of, the, of an NHL shift is 47 seconds. That's the average length, and they're making millions. What? But, like, I mean, some of you could hold your breath for 47 seconds. 
Like, but in the pros, when it's their shift, they go as hard as they can, right? They, they, they play hockey to the fullest for those 47 seconds, and then whew, that shift is done, and they're back on the bench. And maybe, you know, on your shift, maybe your team scores a goal, and that's awesome. Or maybe on your shift, the other team scores a goal. That's not, that's not great. But either way, when your shift is done, it's done, and you're back on the bench. Well, I look at my life. I'm 55 years old. Believe it or not, I don't know. <laughs> um, I might, you know, let's say I live to be 65, 75, uh, 85. However long I live, I look at my life that this is my shift. I'm on the ice right now. And this is the only shift I get. And I'm on the ice with you. You didn't, you didn't know that, did you? You're all hockey players. But we're on the ice together, we're, we're the team. Right? And so it's, it's setting out each day to love God and to love others until that day when I'm back on the bench, when my shift is done. And, you know, and, and to say that, I'm not just being cute. Like really what I am saying is totally biblical. It's totally biblical. You know, Solomon was wise, but there's something that we know that he, he didn't know. Solomon had the prophetic promise of the Messiah, you know, pointing to Jesus, but we have the fulfillment. We have the story. We, we, know how the, we have the example of Jesus. We know how this story goes, that Jesus, he starts off in glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit and you know, creation. and all. Like We know how the story goes, and at one point, God the Father taps Jesus on the shoulder and goes, hey, Jesus, get out there. Tighten your skates. You're, it's your shift, Jesus. And he jumps on the ice, and he was on the ice for way longer than 47 seconds. He was for like 33 plus years. He goes on the ice, and he goes, goes, goes. He lived his life to the fullest, didn't he? He gave his life. And then he was back on the bench. And where did he go? He went right back to glory. He ascended back to glory. And it's going to be the same for you and for me. See, I'll stop here. I totally understand being uncomfortable with the idea of death. Like, you wouldn't be an honest human being if you weren't uncomfortable with it. But as Christians, this side of heaven, what's being offered to each one of us is something that Jesus accomplished on the cross when he disarmed the enemy. He took away the enemy's greatest weapon, death. Jesus is like, I'll take that, thank you. And so now, we don't have to fear death anymore. So to be uncomfortable with it, okay, but not, not fearful. That's not God's desire for us. Let's read this final passage together. 1 Corinthians 15 says this. Let's read it together. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Are you reading with me? Oh, come on. Come on. There's more of you than... Okay. Death is swallowed up in victory. There we go, victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.